Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another Dooley Noted podcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on and listening. Um, they were just showing me some of the, the metrics from uh, the people that listen to this, download it and everything. Man, they were huge numbers, so that's exciting. And I run into people every day, so it's fun. It's, that, that Tell me about it, it's fun. Um, obviously... Florida Georgia week's different. It feels different. Everything about it's different. Going to the game is different uh, because of the split crowd. Uh, just the whole vibe around the stadium is different. Um, it's it's not like anything we experience. And I've been to Oklahoma, Texas. Oklahoma, Texas is cool. You know, they, they, it's the state fairs right there, and that's a cool thing. But it's not anywhere near the level. In my opinion, now I've only been to two Texas Oklahoma games. It's nowhere near the level of partying, in my opinion, that uh, Florida Georgia is. It's ridiculous, and it's it's the coolest. It's the coolest thing because it, people take vacations and do it. People take go there for like four days with their RVs and park and get to know people. So it's a really uh, interesting dynamic, and it's a great game. And it's and this game is huge, as we all know. Um, I'm trying to – I've kind of soft-sold the game a little bit. I did in my column today about the myths that have to do with this game. One of the myths is that this is a national or a, a playoff game. It's not. I talked about that before. It's not a playoff game. It's not even close. It's not for the East. You, you've got a leg up on the East. You're probably going to win the East, but you don't guarantee anything by winning this game. Um, and, and I'm not trying to say this game doesn't mean a lot. It's not everything. Um, but what it is, is the perception of Florida's football program will change depending on what happens. That is what it is more than anything. Like I said, you gotta you gotta still go to Missouri and win. You still gotta um, well, you might not have to because if Georgia would have to win twice, I think it's less of an SEC East coronation for Georgia if they're the winner than it is for Florida, because Georgia's still got to play A and M, uh, Missouri, and uh, Auburn. Obviously, at Auburn, and I know everybody says, "Well, Missouri, big deal. They stink." I go, well, look, yeah, but they got the potential to beat either one of those teams, and they certainly have the potential to be floored at home, which they've shown a knack for doing. So, um, yeah, you got it. That's that's a that's a dangerous game. But yeah, 
for Florida, the coronation would be more uh, understandable. If you cor- if you say, "Hey, that's it. Georgia's won the East." After if they win this game, you're dead wrong, and they could easily lose two more games. I mean, not easily, but they could lose two more games. Um, but it will change no matter what happens in this game. The way people look at Florida. When I say people, um, it's not. It's a little little bit of a vague term, but I'm talking about national media. Southeastern media, local media, uh, the fan bases of both schools, uh, fan bases of other schools. I mean, it's just in the college football world, it will change the way people look at the University of Florida's football program. You win this game, you're back, okay? And I know that – wait a minute. Didn't McIlwain do that? Didn't he win this game and win the East and go to Atlanta? Yeah. And you thought maybe they were back, but you just weren't convinced. And then the disasters at FSU or versus FSU and Alabama both years kind of told you Florida wasn't back. And that's the thing. There's back and there's back, okay? Texas, for example, we all know isn't back, even though they proclaim themselves to be back. We've seen them now get uh, their third loss. You don't lose three games and say you're back. Florida wasn't back last year because where you're back, what are you back to? What's your impression of back? In fact, I was thinking about doing a, a column, and I still might do it next week, of teams that are Uncle Ricos. There's a lot of Uncle Ricos out there, and my this is a phrase I came up with, but I think it works. Uncle Ricos are the people who want to go back to the way it was. Always want to go back to the way it was. They can't get there. Tennessee, I, I agree with what Matt Hayes wrote this summer. Tennessee will never be a lead again, I don't think. Their goal is to get to a bowl. You know, I don't I don't know that FSU can get back there. I don't think they can get certainly don't think they can get back there with the current coaches that they have. Because back is different for different teams. For Florida, back means you're you're at least in the playoff, you know. You if you're not in the, in the college football playoff, you're not back. You won three national championships, two in three years. You had, were one game away from playing for another one. That was when you were at your peak. The Spurrier years were great, and that was what we thought the peak was: winning all those conference championships, playing in two national championships, winning one. That's what we thought. You wanted Florida to get back to. But now it turns out you want Florida to get back to the Urban Meyer years, not the Spurrier years. Uh, the media boys would all like to go back to the Spurrier years, believe me. But you want Florida to get back. You've got to be where you're in. The, you're Alabama. You're Clemson. You're Ohio State, Oklahoma. You're those kind of teams where you have a chance every year to play for a national championship. Back is different for, for different teams, different programs. And there are a lot of Uncle Ricos out there. And you know who they are. I'm going to save them for my column. We'll take a break. We always do that around this time. And then we'll come back. We'll talk more about how people will look at Florida differently if they if they win this game. And they will look at them differently if they lose it. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. 
At ViStar, we believe in better, better convenience, so members can bank any way they want, whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Tailgates and Gator Winds call for the best cigars available from around the world. Pick your sticks today and save at the Florida family-owned site, thehumidor.com. Get free shipping on every cigar order. Find boxes from the biggest brands, samplers hand-selected by top tobacconists, or pick your own single sticks. Thehumidor.com, going the distance for fine cigars. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Appreciate everybody for listening. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, just to just to make one more point on that, what we were talking about earlier. If Florida wins this game, people are going to look at Florida differently. It's going to be an exciting Tuesday. Is it Tuesday night? When they come out with the first rankings. In between basketball games, by the way, in case you were setting your VCRs for it. That will be exciting. People will be talking about Florida in a different connotation. It's amazing how Georgia's riding this two-game win streak over Florida. Two games. One of them when Jim McElwain was going to be fired the next day and everybody knew it and the players knew it. Because of a two-game win streak, everybody says, well, Georgia Georgia's taken over the East. When Florida won consecutive East championships under McElwain, nobody was saying Florida's taken over the East. And don't forget, it was Missouri winning them before that. Everybody was like, the East is just a mess. Whoever wins, it's going to lose to Alabama. It's not going to matter. Remember, this was the days of the East always lost to the West. And, of course, that has changed now. But by Georgia winning the two SEC East championships, and everybody kind of looks at it, well, they've taken over that, that division. And the reason is because of what they've done after. Now, I know they didn't, it didn't end well for them last year. The bowl game didn't end well. and they But they had Alabama beaten and blew it. A team that was supposed to be one of the greatest of all time, they had them beaten. And the year before, of course, they were one play away from winning a national championship. And I think that's why, meanwhile, Florida's playing in the Outback Bowl with an SEC East championship. I love the Outback Bowl, don't get me wrong. The year before the Citrus Bowl, they weren't going off and playing in, in these uh, major bowls or certainly not in the college football playoffs. So I think that's why people looked at it differently. But you win this game, people are going to look at – everybody's going to look at Florida in a different light. You lose this game, and people are going to say, yeah, I thought it would take Dan a while. And I'm not saying that people – there will be a lot, of, a lot of people who turn. Turn – they will turn so fast on a coach who loses – Especially you lose to Georgia two years in a row. I guess he lost one to when he was at Mississippi State. So everybody's like, oh, can't beat Georgia 0-3. He is to, he is to, uh, to Georgia what uh, the Bowdens were to Steve Spurrier. Remember that? He can't beat a Bowden. And that was, of course, he ended up beating the Bowdens. But um, 
I, I think I'm making my point. I, I sometimes I get off on these tangents and I never know if I am or not. The point is, it's a big, bigger. I think it's a bigger game from the way the perception of Florida football than it is the actual nuts and bolts of whether you're going to win the division. And that may be the dumbest thing I've ever said, but I I believe that. I I believe it to be true. You still got work to do if you win this game. But people are going to look at you totally different. Maybe you won't be underdogs three times as a top six team in the country. Maybe people start looking at you in in Vegas differently too. Um, It is such a great game. I I was thinking that I countered them up today and I – pretty sure I'm right on this sometimes I don't add well sometimes I think I was at a game and I wasn't sometimes I'm, I'm at a game that I that I don't remember being at and, and there, there are a lot of those but not so much Florida Georgia games but um, I think this is my 43rd Florida Georgia game and I'm pretty sure it'll be a 44th and it is I have so many memories you know about this game and this is going to sound even dumber than the dumb thing i said before i think i think for a florida fan let's say you've been going to this game since 1966 you're a florida fan you've been a florida fan your whole life i think you appreciate the wins more than the guy who who walked in and you know 1993 yeah i just start, got accepted to florida i guess I'm a, I'm a gator fan now or or kid that was born a millennial or something like that because you've got to go through the pain to have the pleasure you can't appreciate the pleasure unless you went through some pain and there was no pain quite like you know, you can you can have all your wide rights and wide lefts there was no pain like what florida went through in the 70s and then in 80 and then in 85 uh losing so many tough, heartbreaking games. Fourth and dumb. Lindsey Scott. Uh, obviously, the uh, the first time Florida was ever number one didn't last a week because Georgia beat them, beat them pretty good too. So you, if you've been through the pain, you really enjoy the wins. You eleven and one, right there. They should put a statue up for Steve Spurrier, right? Just, just that eleven and one record against Georgia—that's all it takes. I don't forget about the SEC. Forget about the national championship. He won eleven and one against Georgia. Statue. And you know we've been debating this Ring of Honor thing with Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer went five and one. The one game he lost, you know, he just—they just weren't that good that year. Even though Tebow won the Heisman, their defense needed a year to season. But still, he went five and one. And we debate the Ring of Honor. That almost should get you in. Going five and one against some good Georgia teams too. These weren't bad Georgia teams that they played. You know the the, the Moreno and all those guys. Um, and Aaron Murray was certainly a did Aaron Murray playing that year. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I, I get confused sometimes when I, when I'm talking without stopping. Okay. The point I'm making is that uh, I, I mean, going five and one against Georgia should be enough to get Urban Meyer into the Ring of Honor. Now, 
this debate continues to rage on. It's it's a very quiet debate because you don't hear it unless you bring it up. But you bring it up and it becomes a heated argument, heated discussion. Because I don't think most Gator fans realize that it's being discussed in the meeting rooms over at the UAA, that it has been discussed, whether they will, will do that. That there was at least... I think there was at least a hope that they could get it done this year. But I also think people over there have put their ears to the ground and heard, it ain't going to be good. You think Trump got booed. Wait till you see what happens with this guy. And I can tell you, every Gator club I go to and speak, it's 50-50 right down the middle. Half the people go, yeah, he won two national championships. You got to put him in the ring of honor. Half the people are, I will not go to that game. And if I go, I will boo. So, at any rate, I've gotten off on a tangent. One thing I did want to mention when I I wrote about the miss the other day about this game, and and I wasn't trying, again, I was not trying to undercut the importance of this game. This is a huge game. You know, and I'm not saying saying this is the biggest game of the year because it's the next game. I'm saying it's the biggest game of the year. Now, going into the season, I felt like Miami was huge. Right? Remember, I listed Miami as the number one game. I think I had Georgia as number two. But the reason I think I, I, if Florida lost to Miami, it was going to tear down a lot of the good that they had done the previous year. What I didn't know at the time was that winning the game, you could still have that good, good vibrations torn down. But now it's obvious that this Georgia game is the season. You win this game, and the opportunities are there to do some really great things. You lose this game, and they're not. You lose this game, you're probably going to the Outback Bowl or somewhere like that. Doesn't mean it was a bad season. Got to go ahead and still finish it strong. And one thing I do like about this Florida team is they keep getting better. You know, we had – we were talking to Steve Spurrier about this the other day. He was saying, you know, that this team is definitely getting better in his eyes, which I think is great. But – I wanted to mention one of the other myths that has really kind of aggravated me, and it continues to aggravate me, and it's, I think, because it gets brought up again. And that is the myth that by running out on the field with all your idiot players, Mark Richt inspired, got his team ready to play, and, and that whole team went out there and got the penalties and everything, and, but it got them ready to go. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. They won the game because they were better than Florida that that year. Florida got the next kickoff and went right down the field and scored. Of course, the kickoff was from like the one. It was a boneheaded move because no Sean Moreno, they reviewed the play. If What if he hadn't gotten in? And now all of a sudden, they're, they're got, they got uh, second and goal from the 31 or something. So that's why it was a boneheaded play, but it didn't inspire that team. That's just an urban legend and not an Urban Meyer legend. They were better in Florida. Florida was fighting defensively. They could not figure it out defensively the whole year. You remember the Michigan game at the end? Uh, Chad Henney, I believe, was the quarterback. Couldn't stop him. Couldn't stop him. They just weren't good defensively. They needed a year of seasoning. That had nothing to do with that game there's a lot of things that don't have to do with anything that kind of they aggravate me when that happens anyway 
Um, one thing, look, this game is – we all know what it's about. It's a big game. You better stop the run. You better be able to run the ball. You better not turn it over. You better you better get turnovers. You cannot do one of those things and still win the game, but you can't not do all four. If you lose the rushing battle and lose the turnover margin, you're probably not going to win. It's going to take something bizarre. You're going to have to throw it to Lindsey Scott. So it's about that. And, and you know, you kind of try to read these players – uh, during an off week and then when they come back from an off week and get their mindset. And and Jake Fromm's attitude is, and I'm writing about this for Saturday, is kind of uh, scary for Gator fans because he is coming at you with a lot of confidence and that they've figured things out and they've worked on what their issues were. And they, you know, now what does that mean? Does that mean he, he has been throwing to his wide receivers the entire off week and all they worked on was timing? They worked on separation, the things that aren't they aren't doing well. Uh, maybe they designed some blitzes because they don't get a lot of sacks. Uh, maybe they designed other ways to get pressure. Maybe they came up with some trick plays. Maybe they're going to run the wishbone. Who knows what it is? But I'm, I'm a big believer that you can overthink the off week, but you better not be the same team you were coming into the off week that you are coming out of it that you need to get better during that off week. You, coaches always talk about trying to get better in practice and that you'll know about your team by the way they practice. You better get better in some subtle, um, sometimes fundamental ways in the off week, and that includes self-evaluation. So, look, we'll see what happens. Uh, like I, I, I've said before, I think Florida's a better team than I thought they were in the preseason. The lack of uh, – I mean, the roster issues have surfaced, but they've kind of been able to overcome. Certainly, it didn't against LSU, but they have been a problem. That just like I said, they would, but they've managed to overcome them for the most part. So I give them a lot of credit for what they've been able to do. But I also know people will, like I said earlier, they will kind of turn on this team if they don't win this game and go, "Oh, yeah, I guess it's, I thought we were back. We're not back." There is there continues to be a lot of optimism from Florida fans and uh, I get it I get why you want to I, I think it's great to be optimistic you can't affect the game You're, there's a, there's 40,000 Georgia fans that are going to be there that don't want you to affect the game you, can, you can't affect a game with 40,000 people from each side okay you can affect you affected the game the Auburn game LSU fans affected their game okay against Florida. I don't know if they affected as much against Auburn. Auburn wasn't impressed with the crowd noise. Again, day game versus night game. It does make a difference. You can't really affect this game. That's kind of the beauty of it. It's not about the crowds. It's about I mean, it's about the fact that it is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, which it is, and don't tell me it's not. It is. My friend Bill Castells came up with that, and I'm always going to go with it. Um, so the crowd, but the crowds can't affect it. They, the crowds are what the atmosphere is about going into the game. Once the game starts, it's not about them. It's about the play on the field. Um, all right. So we, I, you know, there's a couple other things I wanted to get to, but I probably should break right here and bring on my friend, Seth Emerson, who writes for the athletic, uh, and covers Georgia and really knows this team inside and out. Well, he and I talked for a long time earlier 
Um, and so looking forward to getting him on the show. So we'll do that. Take a break. We'll bring him on, and we'll come back. We'll give you some of the spreads. I got a couple of thoughts about the NIL, uh, the name, likeness, and image, or whatever. And uh, a couple of thoughts about bad football teams. And three things. All that coming and more here on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on and a great pleasure to be joined by Seth Emerson who does a great job covering the dogs for the uh, athletic and was at the AJC and he's been everywhere. You were in Macon for a while too, as I recall, right? Macon, yeah, three different outlets covering Georgia before that South Carolina. Actually, four different outlets. If you go back to my days in South Georgia and Albany, Georgia, Albany. covering the early part of the Mark Richt era. I've been to Albany. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all I have to say about it. Felt like three years, which is <laughs> how long I was there. Well, obviously, uh, a big game here. I, you know, I've I've kind of softened it for some people because the winner doesn't win the East. It's got a leg up. The winner is not in the playoffs. It's it's certainly in better mm-hmm. shape. It is kind of though an elimination game, isn't it, Seth? Yeah, I I mean, I who doesn't think that the winner of this game is going to be in Atlanta for the SEC championship? I mean, it, it's hard to foresee a scenario where that's not the case. If, if Georgia loses, obviously it has to win out, but then Florida has to lose a couple times. Um, if Georgia wins, Florida has to win out, and then Georgia has to lose not only at Auburn, which is definitely feasible, but also at home to Texas A&M or Missouri. So, yeah, it, it really seems like the SEC yeah. championship. Oh, I think it is. But I, I don't. I just try to soften people on it's not definitely. <laughs> you know, uh, there's strange things right. happen. We, yeah. we watch a lot of college football, so we know, right? Well, I, you saw a Florida team incur its one loss, what, going into Baton Rouge, where yeah. a lot of teams lose? Uh, I saw Georgia lose at home to South Carolina. So, yeah, I think especially in Georgia's case, you would come out of there and say, all right, definitely like 95% chance, but let's see how if they can avoid a South Carolina-type loss. You know, and, and I was in, talking to Andy Staples about this the other night, and um, – you know, I know you you did a good story on. I just read it and actually stole a little couple of quotes from it. I hope you don't mind, but I did credit you um, on Jake Fromm and how he, uh, you know, he's he seems to be really confident going into this game, and that's that's kind of his persona, though, isn't it? Trying to to be confident that he has this one bad game a year is what Andy was saying, and then the rest of them are all pretty much the same game. Yeah. I- yeah, he had the LSU game last year coming into the Florida game. That was the one before the bye, before Florida, and then he had his best game. He had a bad game at Auburn his freshman year, but so did a lot of players. Um, so a lot of players had a bad game at LSU yeah. last year. So did the Florida coach, game. by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but and then a lot of people had a bad game at home against South Carolina. Um, I, I think a lot of times from struggling is kind of symptomatic of what's going on with the whole team. Like, for instance, I don't think Georgia lost to South Carolina because Jake Fromm threw three interceptions. 
I think it was because of a lot of factors, including the run game wasn't working the way it normally would, which means Georgia had to go to the air 51 times. And when you throw 51 passes, you're going to increase the chances for something bad happening, sure. which is what happened. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at what Florida needs to do against Georgia, yeah, you want Jake Fromm throwing the ball more. Not necessarily because Jake Fromm isn't good and can't do it, but because that means DeAndre Swift's not running the ball. Right. And I think that's a good thing for defenses when number seven doesn't have the ball in his hands. Yeah, no, I, I've been saying, though, it's it's kind of like Georgia's an old-school SEC team. You know, they run the ball really well, and they play great defense. Uh, whereas, you know, Florida even, and but, but to a greater extent, Alabama and LSU have changed the whole – way they play offense. I mean, obviously Steve Spurrier did this back in the in the 90s, but uh, Georgia's kind of reverted back to that old school run the ball, play action pass, play great defense, try to win the game, you know, 20, 21-14 or whatever. And that's much to the consternation of some people around here. Uh, they w- look at all these offenses opening things up and they look at Ed Orgeron saying, man, LSU Look at them. They opened up their offense. Uh, Alabama, Nick Saban, he's been doing that for a couple years now with Tua and even Jalen Hurts before that. Why can't Georgia do that? And they see an offense that they think is too predictable, too run-oriented, too traditional. And I, I see where Kirby is coming from. His, his philosophy is he wants to wear down the other team. He wants to impose the will of a run game, pass it, be balanced when you – in the sense that when you need to pass it, you pass it. When you need to run it, you run it. And you're equally good at both. But I also see an offense that probably hasn't done well enough this year spacing out. Like, I compare it to basketball. When the ball is moving very well around in a half-court offense, what's happening? You've got good spacing. I don't see an offense that's doing that. It's got a lot of bunched-up formations, and that's just at the start of the play. And then this play starts, and – guys are kind of too close together you're you're having tight ends next to each other blocking and they're they're really not spread out and i think you can run from bigger formations and and such which other teams have shown and i'll be curious if georgia adjusts on the fly here because clearly what they've been doing over the first seven weeks hasn't really worked if you're if you're assessing and blame, and again we're talking about a team ranked eighth in the country, so I don't know that there's right. any real blame to be thrown around. It's kind of like people talk about Florida. Here's they're they're an underdog for the third time this year, and they're number six in the country. But it's hard to figure out. But it, it, how much of it is wide receivers? Uh, obviously, a whole new group of those guys. Also, what their top seven or eight receivers from a year ago. How much of it is coming down on James Coley uh, in his first year as a coordinator? A lot's coming down on Coley. A lot's coming down on the receivers. The the receivers is kind of the easy answer. It's something that a lot of people can point to because of how much they lost in the offseason. And it's it's always easy to kind of use that as an escape hatch when you don't want to criticize anybody currently on the team or calling plays. Um, I think there there's something to to all of it. I, I'm even in criticizing James Coley. You, I, I have to be cautious because I don't know how much of this is he's constrained from above, like 
Kirby saying, no, we need to do this. How much of this is James Coley was promoted to the job. I'm hesitant to point the finger at him and say he's the whole problem because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know whether he has full freedom on the offense, whether things are dictated to him. Um, you don't know whether when he was promoted to the job, they were told you're getting the job, but we're still using the old offense, which maybe had, was something that he wanted to do. But is this James Coley able to run his own system? Um, there's a lot of questions that we we don't know, and there's not exactly a lot of transparency right. <laughs> around here on that. Um, and there may not be at a lot of programs, but it, it's again, it's it's hard to say for sure on a lot of these things that people just kind of assume. Do you get um, a sense that this is an elite defense? I mean, obviously it leads the conference in defense, scoring defense, which is the most important stat, or that they're about to find out if they're an elite defense because of the schedule that's that's up ahead of them with A&M and Auburn, obviously, in Florida. Yeah. I, I think it's the latter. I, I If you look at their numbers by themselves right now, sure, it's elite, but they really haven't played anybody. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame's the best offense they've played, and uh, they they did pretty well there. They've definitely been very good against the run. Now, they haven't run up against an elite running offense. Notre Dame, their running game was their Achilles heel. Um, But Ian Book, Notre Dame's quarterback, was able to pass – down the field on Georgia some, especially underneath tight ends. Um, South Carolina and Tennessee have both been able to bust some big plays on Georgia. So there's questions about this defense. They haven't, to me, shown that they're an elite defense. They haven't shown that they aren't. I, I, I do think that an elite defense doesn't give up this many big plays as they have to teams like South Carolina and, 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 uh, and Tennessee, especially when Tennessee was starting a true freshman quarterback. But this was always going to be a younger, more inexperienced defense. So they have a chance to improve and get better as the season goes on to where maybe they were only really good based on who they were playing early in the year to they might actually be legitimately really good as we go down the stretch. Right. Uh, Before we let you go, uh, your thoughts on the game – uh, being in Jacksonville as it is, you've been you've been to many games there, and then and the fact yeah. that it was extended again, I'm not no big surprise to anybody. Uh, do you like it there, yeah. and do you do you see it there for until the end of time? <laughs> um, I, I see it there for the foreseeable future. I guess I, I wouldn't expect that when this option comes up, that there'll be much drama about that either. I think some fundamentals have to change. There's just a lot of people that are invested in this game being in Jacksonville on both sides of it. There's a lot of Georgia people in the Brunswick, Savannah area, Sea Island, that kind of stuff who who like it. I I like it personally in the sense that I I go down every year with my family. You can always just kind of know that, look, the game is going to be this day and late October, early November, it's going to be at 3.30 on CBS. And it's, you know, it's going to be in Jacksonville, you know, how to get to the stadium. I could give or take the area of Jacksonville, the Jacksonville in the area around the stadium and the whole scene. It's not my scene anymore. Um, but other people seem to like it. I myself just go to Amelia Island and stay there because I'm an older man now. But, uh, 
Yeah, I, I like it. I, I think it's got enough for everybody. I, I do think it would be kind of cool to go to the swamp. I haven't been to the swamp since I covered South Carolina. Uh, and Florida people, have they ever been to Sanford Stadium? Um, there's something to be said for maybe at some point doing something like that, but um, but when and and how often? And is there a crying need for for people to be able to say that they've been to Sanford Stadium or that they've been to the Swamp? Um, enough of a crying need to pull it out of Jacksonville. And, and ultimately, I think money is clearly going to be what still carries the day. I have a feeling that as much as the schools squeezed out of Jacksonville this time, they they could squeeze more if they really wanted to. (laughs) It does seem to be a spigot that you can't turn off uh, with Jacksonville. Right. But that's fine. Uh, Seth Emerson from The Athletic does a great job covering uh, the Georgia Bulldogs and does a great job writing about all things college football. We had we are so th- lucky to have him on the sh- podcast. We'll take a break right now. We'll come back with more, including three things, on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, well, uh, welcome back to the duly noted podcast, and we will. Uh, I wanted I wanted to mention a couple things about the NIL, um, the ruling by the NCAA, and I wrote about this, and you guys all under, understand what's going on here, right? Nothing happened. Uh, the NCAA basically surrendered and said, "Okay, we should have done this a long time ago. We'll we'll do it. We'll do it now. If you insist, if if legislatures are going to get involved, but nobody's shown me a plan." And how it's going to work until somebody does. It's almost like I can't comment. I can comment. I can do what a lot of guys do. And people uh, like a certain politician who came out and said something really ridiculous. I'm not going to mention any names, but it rhymes. It's something you use to catch the ball if you're a catcher. Um, but, you know, that, that's just silly. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what the plan is. Nobody knows how much money these guys are going to make. They act like everybody's going to be billionaires walking around, you know, lighting uh, cigars with $100 bills. We don't know if they're going to make a significant amount of money. We don't know how it's going to be distributed. We don't know what if there's going to be a plan to take care of, you know, somebody made a great point the other day. They were saying how, you know, everybody's talking about this in a football capacity, but there's a gymnast at UCLA who was unbelievable last year, and her name escapes me. I can see it on the tip of my tongue. I'm sure somebody's saying it right now. Anyway, she had a viral video, a video that went viral, a YouTube video of her performance getting a 10, and it had like millions of likes and millions of clicks. You can monetize that. This is the stuff that nobody's talking about. The kicker from UCF that was doing a a video blog and had to stop because the NCAA wouldn't let him do it. He could have monetized it. He could now, I would think. So there is so much, so much that has to be thought about and discussed. And I'm going to go on the record and saying – I don't think this is going to happen for another two years. I don't think next year's guys are going to get it. Uh, I, I did see one funny tweet. It was like, "Who's who will be back sooner? Texas football or EA NCAA football? I'm rooting for, for the NCAA football. It's the best game I ever played in my life. I love that game. But Texas, are they Uncle Rico's? I think they might be. Yeah, they're kind of in that Uncle Rico mode, if you were listening earlier. I'm thinking you were listening earlier. 
you didn't skip right ahead because you wanted to get the spreads. Let's do the spreads. Uh, we do this every Thursday. Florida six and a half point underdog. It opened at four and a half, went to six and a half. A lot of money on Georgia early, but it hadn't really moved much from then. Um, it, it's amazing, I, you know. I wrote wrote about this earlier. I think we talked about last early, on the last podcast for Florida to be underdogs uh, by a combined now uh, thirteen and a half, no twenty three and a half points, twenty three and a half point underdogs as the sixth ranked team in the nation combined in those three games i wish somebody would look it up see if anybody's ever been ranked number six and been an underdog three times that's what i'm talking about the perception of florida football how it will change if you can win this game uh virginia tech getting 17 and a half at notre dame that feels like an easy win bet right there because virginia tech is not good but they're not bad and they kind of hang around and notre dame's got to be feeling a little bit down and a little bit shell-shocked after what happened to them last week. Those are a lot of points. It is at Notre Dame. And and look, the potential's there for Notre Dame to say, all right, let's save this season starting with this game. We're better in Virginia Tech. But I'm, I'm interested in seeing what that ends up. Kansas getting six against Kansas State at home. Kansas is at home. I, you can't bet on Les Miles right now or against him. You don't know what's going on there. It's almost like a there's some kind of voodoo. You know, you keep hearing about these miracles. You you guys know what happened last week. They had a game-winning field goal blocked, and the uh, player who grabbed it, Texas Tech, right, they were playing, grabbed it and laddered it to nobody when he just should have fallen on the ball and gone to overtime. He tried to lateral it to nobody, and the ball just bounced around. They recovered it with one second to go, kick another field goal, make it. Now, how do you win a game like that? And they're only three and five. Everybody acts like he's he could be the coach of the year. And they're probably going to end up like four and eight. And no, I don't think that's allowed. Miami is a three point favorite or a three point underdog against FSU at FSU. Ah, remember when this was a huge deal? This game, not so much anymore. I like FSU in this game because it seems like FSU's improved. I don't know that Miami's improved. They they stole a win last week. I think I think the talent levels on those two teams are, are way higher than eight wins combined. Like talent level wise, they're probably an eleven win pair. Does that make any sense? I mean, at this point in the season, they should have eleven wins, not at the end of the season, and that's what they may end up with. A loser this game. You know, I'm not saying they're not going to a bowl game, but the loser of this game is really going to be down because it's not going very well. You're going to have at least five losses, maybe six, maybe seven. Not good. Uh, Mississippi State, seven-and-a-half-point favorite at Arkansas. Mississippi State has stunk so bad, and they're still touchdown favorite. That's how bad Arkansas has been. Now, Arkansas is a different, different kind of Uncle Rico because they had it, we're probably about as good as it can get with Brett Bielema. And then he had a bad year, maybe tick some people off, and they get rid of him. And all they want to do is get back to where they were. Get back to where they are winning eight games and going to bowl games and knocking off Florida every once in a while like they did with McElwain. That's all they want to get back to. They, can't, they know they're never getting back to the days of Jerry Jones. 
Okay. So they're a different kind of Uncle Rico. Mississippi State just wants to go back to Dan Mullen. They're okay with that. Win eight games. Win the Egg Bowl every once in a while. Go to a bowl game. Go to the Gator Bowl. Not going to happen for them this year, it doesn't look like. Uh, Utah over Washington, a three-point favorite on the road. Uh, that's an intriguing game. Uh, I don't have a feel for it, though. UAB's only getting 12.5 points against at Tennessee. Uh, and I know Tennessee's playing better. And that seems to be a low number. That might be an interesting one to look at. Mississippi State getting 18.5 at Auburn. Um, I mean, sorry, Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi struggling to score, so I see, I get that. Uh, UNC, it's a big game, I, I'm told. Two-point favorite against Virginia at home. Yeah, they'll play this game. It's a big game. Oh, my God, they're playing for the lead in the conference. But anything could happen. I mean, who knows where, the, where the, the, any of these teams can end up 4-4. Four and four. I think that's the dream of sports writers is that everybody in the Coastal ends up 4-4. Four and four. Um, And then South Carolina giving up 15 against Vandy at home. And Vandy will be interesting to watch because, don't forget, they're coming off that win over Missouri. They had a bye week. I'll be interested to see what happens in this game. These are games that are really – like they are interesting to me but not to anybody else. Like Tennessee-South Carolina last week was the one I was telling everybody, I'm really interested to see what happens here. And what happened was South Carolina got smoked late in the game and Jawan Jennings showed how great he is, and he's a great player. In fact, if I was voting all SEC, I don't know who you vote for at receiver. There are so many great receivers in this league. You could take six of them or eight of them from LSU and Alabama before you even got to the ninth best receiver. And yet I think Jawan Jennings is a guy who deserves to be on there. Um, anyway, let's go to um, – I don't think there's anything else I wanted to talk about. Let's go ahead and get to three things. It's time for three things. All right, first of all, on three things, congratulations to the I, – I, I, sh, I should have said it the way I wrote it. Congrats to the Nats because they won the World Series last night. I did not stay up for it. I uh, woke up this morning, saw they'd won. I didn't have a dog in the hunt. I call, I haven't called my friend Chris Harry yet. I want to call him, and I'm going to tell him, dude, congratulations. Uh, also know this feeling you have of euphoria – and I've been there only once in my life with, with the Braves, but that feeling will never go away completely. It's always going to be there when you win a World Series, even more so than an NBA, even more so than an NFL championship. Winning a baseball World Series is different, and it never leaves you completely. And so if you're a Yankees fan, you've got piles of it back there. But I know that the Braves winning that 95 World Series has never left me. That feeling, it's just a... The percentage dwindles a little bit every time, but he'll never feel – he'll never not remember that. And Now, he went to game five. Unfortunately, they lost that. Weird series. All the visitors won. Baseball's a weird sport, though. All right, although it was pretty interesting when those two girls flashed. And that, that was uh, – that, I'm sure it was a lot of people turned on the next day, next game to see if that happened again. Um, number two, Steph Curry breaks his hand. Can it get any worse for the what used to be the best team and dominant, most dominating team in the history of the NBA? I mean, Warriors won more games than anybody, games than anybody at one point, right? 73, wasn't it? I don't know. Anyway, 
I like the Warriors. I've rooted for them. I have a Warriors T-shirt. Uh, my my daughter kind of got me hooked on them. I like Steph Curry a lot. Man, it is ugly right now. We're one and three, and Curry's going to be out for a while. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are happy. There's a lot of people who hated that team because Durant went there. Once Durant went there, they got mad. They go, I don't want. You can't just have all the good players. Well, that's the way the NBA works now. Um. So I know that they're one and three because I had to look it up. I was just curious. I, I'm not a person who watches regular season NBA games until we get to the playoffs. Then, then I'm yeah, then I'm kind of into it. Finally, uh, number three and the three things. Hoops is back. Hoops dead is. Yeah, uh, Gators played on Tuesday. My daughter called me, said her first game as a rowdy reptile. She was very excited. Said it was a great time, but we have a lot of work to do, Dad. And I'm like, okay, not me. All I got to do is cover the games. They, they, of course, Tuesday night coming up, they play against um, North Florida, and then Sunday FSU. I'll definitely be at that game. And uh, this is a really good team. We'll see. It's going to take a while. Don't judge them based on November. You judge them in March of uh, eventually. But to see how they play when they get to some of these bigger games, conference games, and um, you know, Kerry Blackshear again had a big game. We we expect that they'll they'll figure it out. They have not fig- figured it all out yet. There's no question about it. All right, that is going to do it. I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast, and um, really appreciate you for clicking on. We'll be back. Can't say can't talk all of a sudden. I think I'm worn out. In fact, I wrote down on my thing, I know this is a big game because it's another one of those games where I'm tired of hearing myself talk, and I've gotten to that point today on Thursday. Uh, Miami was a number was a nine I, on that scale. Tired of hearing myself talk, but that was because it was the only game in town, so I was on 800 radio shows. LSU and Auburn were both about eights. Georgia's been about a seven, uh, maybe because of the off week. I don't know, but uh, the open week. Anyway, the point being, I am tired of hearing myself talk, and probably you are too, so I will bug out of here. We'll be back Tuesday. We'll tell you what we thought about the Georgia game. I can't wait for that podcast. Really, I can't. I'm curious what I'm going to have to say. Until then, this is Pat Dooley, sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun, saying I'm deep, I am way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.